Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series titled Beginnings Matter, where Pastor Ryan will be unpacking the truth of the beginning so our future can be established with purpose. Thanks for listening. Amen, church. The Lord has been lifted up already in this place. Amen. One of the things I love about Church 213 is we like to show off for Jesus. We like to show off. This, I want you to know this praise team, <clears throat> they've been here all morning preparing to show off for Jesus. Our golf cart ministry, our ministry of motion are here running that cart winter spring summer and fall because they like to show off for Jesus our greeters guest services they get here early they strap on the name tag and they stand behind that welcome that 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 guest service desk and and they stand out front and they put on that smile you know why because they want to show off Jesus And our cafe team, they've been here for an hour brewing coffee. So they can show off the goodness of God. And our ushers, they will stand at these doors with our sermon guides. And they lead people into this room because they want to show off Jesus. You bunch of show offs, that's all you are. Bunch of show offs around here. There was a CEO of this base company. And he made a surprise visit to the shipping department. A word got out that the boss was coming. And when he made it to the warehouse, he walked over to this new employee. And he said, I see you did exactly what you were supposed to. You stamped the top of every box. This side up, handle with care. And the guy said, absolutely. Yes, sir. And just to make sure that it arrives to the customer safely. And just to make sure that you don't forget my name when raises come around. I stamped it twice on the bottom, too. Show off. Let's face it. There are people in your life that like to show off. There's probably people in your family that want the spotlight. Every family has that spotlight grabber, right? And and if you don't know who that person is, you know what that means? It's probably you. It's probably you. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the fourth day of creation. God is getting ready to show off. I mean, to really begin to show off. Every year, the fashion industry provides the world with this specific space that they use to show off the year's newest fashion. And this space is set aside for beauty and wonder, and this space has a name. The name is a catwalk. Y'all with me? And some of the most famous catwalks in the world, you'll find them in Paris, you'll find one in Berlin, you'll find one in New York. And you guys have seen the catwalk. Y'all with me? The catwalk is where men and women try to keep a straight face while they're walking wearing clothes that look like they've been in a paper shredder. (laughs) 
That, that's, that's the catwalk. They walk with so much intensity. Man, these models, they, they walk like they're going somewhere just to get there and realize that they got to turn around and go back. It's, it's funny to watch. It is. But here's the thing. These models capture the spotlight not because of who they are, but because of who they represent. They're walking there with such intensity. And the clothes that the models are showing off, they really belong to someone else. Somebody that has um, a prestigious eye for design. Somebody that has premier knowledge of the industry. When you, do, when you think about a, a catwalk, these people, they're, they're wearing clothes of someone that has powerful influence. Somebody that has premium skill. And the spotlight, it's not really about the models. The spotlight is for the designer of the clothes. Are y'all with me? The models are just fashioned to reflect somebody else's glory. And the catwalk is just a space for brilliance so that the designer can show off. And chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, is, is God showing off through what He's fashioned so that we can have the fullness of life through Him. Y'all ready to show off? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Turn to Genesis 1, starting in verse 14. You want to show off? Go ahead. The fourth day. You guys can be seated. I asked Denise, I said, can you help me show off for Jesus? She said, absolutely. <laughs> then I told the security team that somebody was going to stand up and say something. <laughs> Here's the thing. Atheists and evolutionary theorists that hold to this naturalistic philosophy have always been stumped to explain how so many stars and planets exist. The size, y'all, the size of the universe is unfathomable. There is no definitive scientific explanation for, 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 for how so many stars got placed across such advanced expanse of space. And if you take it a step further, there's no really scientific explanation as to why there's so much diversity in the sky. There's no scientific explanation for who lit the stars on fire. Let that sit a minute. There is no scientific explanation. These marvel the imagination. But I'm here to come by to tell you this this morning. The Bible has the answer. 
It is not a what, and it is not a how. It is a who to the glory of God. And the Bible says that God made them all. The heavens declare the glory of God. He's spoken into existence. See, the Bible doesn't need to be exhaustive in order to be trusted. I said that last week. I can build my life, and I have built my life. I have trusted my eternity on it, even though it's limited in what it tells me. Because it's not a book about science and biology. There's some things in here. This is a book about God's faithfulness during uncertain times. And it was written to the Israelites who were going through some uncertain times. I've said this this time in the series, and I'll say it again. Science in the Bible are not enemies, church. They're a power couple. It's like Ken and Jeannie Moore. (laughs) They're a power couple. The two are meant to draw our hearts to God, not away in doubt. This is on your notes. You guys write this down. The creation evolution debate is not really an argument between faith and science as evolutionists like to make it look y'all catch this it is an argument over God atheist and agnostic must have evolution in order to free themselves from any accountability to God and if a pagan self-absorbed, sin-soaked rebel can implant the idea in your mind and in your family's mind that God and science are enemies. And if that heretic thinks they can prove that we are here because of natural processes, then we become God in ourselves. That is the high way to hell. And see, at that point, when you make that switch and there are no moral absolutes and truth is whatever you feel like it is, you're in a mess. Because life becomes a free-for-all. Do whatever you want. You would not surely die, but instead you would be like God, knowing good and evil. You heard that before? The father of lies, Satan, is still the most deceitful liar he's always been. And the last two or three generations of parents are allowing their kids and grandkids to lick up the lies like a sugar ant and watermelon juice. (laughs) Statistics are showing that once a student graduates high school, it's very likely that they will abandon their faith and they will turn their back on God at the first sign of academic pushback. Y'all, this stuff is real. We have to be equipped To fight for the hearts of our kids. But we can't fight for the hearts of our kids if we're not fighting for our own hearts. And so from time to time, I will recommend resources. PR is recommended resources. And I've got some books on the table out there. Some ways that you can fight this stuff in your own heart and the hearts of your kids. So swing by. Some of those things, I have multiple copies for free in my office. I'll give it to you today. Other things you can find on Amazon. Book plug. I didn't write them, so do not profit me to profit you for the glory of the kingdom. Amen. Beginnings matter. Beginnings matter. Let's go back to our text. Let's read that again. Genesis chapter 1, starting in uh, verse 14. Then God said, why do I believe it? There it is right there, okay. Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. 
They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and for years. There will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. And I love this last line, as well as the stars. Seriously? As well as the stars? Couldn't elaborate more? Let's just throw some stars in there. God is so good. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. So what we just did was we rolled up on day four. God is getting ready to begin another phase of revealing himself. Here's what I want you to realize. Even the days of creation have order. Yes, he's ordering things in the specific days, but the days itself have order. Day one, God created the heavens and the earth, light. Day two, the sky and the waters. Day three, the dry land. That was last week. God's final act of separation. Day four, the luminaries. See, everything from the fourth day forward is finishing work. God, God is filling and He is populating that which was formless and void. See, the first designated area, the first catwalk to be filled on day four is the vast expanse of day one. So one and four go together. What He made on day one, He is filling on day four. What He made on day two, He fills on day five. What He made on day three, He fills on day six. And on day seven, He says, Here's my glory. I'm going to rest in it. Y'all see what I'm saying? That kind of gives you a glimpse of where we're going next week. This is on your notes. The celestial catwalk of God helps us stay focused on His brilliance. The celestial catwalk of God helps us stay focused on His brilliance. We throw that word around a lot, don't we? Brilliance. But there is no one like our God. Talking about brilliance, that, that, that's what a catwalk does, right? Brilliance. It, it's, the, it's the space to focus on the brilliance of the designer. And the heavens, here's what I want you to get. The heavens are like that for the believer. It's God's catwalk. It's, it's the space beyond our breathable atmosphere. And in that entire space, it includes the moon, the sun, the stars, and billions of galaxies that were there fully functioning as soon as God made it. And they're still functioning to His purposes today. They haven't evolved in function. See, evolutionists try to explain it using science. But here's the thing. They have to break their own rules to, be, to, to make any type of theory work. Here's what I'm saying. For example, they say that 14 billion years ago, energy exploded from the size of a marble to the speed of light, which they say is impossible, except when they need it not to be impossible. That's called convenient science. Just follow the science. 
Man, I'm sick of hearing that. Oh, I trust the science. I, I, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I trust the science. I just don't trust the wicked heart of the rebellious scientist. That's what I don't trust. So simply put, here's the thing. Evolution isn't even a theory because there's absolutely no scientific data to back it. It's not a theory. It is a fairy tale. It's not a theory. It's a fairy tale. But here's the thing. And I think here's the point. They know it's a fairy tale. I want you to listen to me. The battle the church is facing is not if what is being said is actually believable. The root is if you're going to allow something other than the Bible to be in charge of truth. Because if you can agree that what they're saying, even though it is unnatural, unbelievable, maybe is true, even if they do change it and say, no, nah, just kidding, now this is true, now this is true, they've got you. So what we have to do is we have to have a firm foundation of truth. But for the believer, praise God, the Bible is not a fairy tale. Because real science proves and continues to argue for a powerful, sovereign, creative design. And therefore supports a powerful, sovereign, creative designer. Duh! And this designer is really, really good at showing off his brilliance. And so what we see in these verses, we see how these verses... In these verses, how God created the sun and the moon to be permanent models for light. And what we see right here is God giving the supernatural light placeholders. Placeholders. You know, think of, think of a, uh, a pregnant woman. The supernatural development of life has a placeholder. See, on day one, light was created. It was the space to which God was going to work. And so on day four, what happens is God is creating permanent placeholders for that light. They aren't light themselves. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Day four is when God's display got put in a galactic light switch. God is always setting himself up to show off. Amen? See... Glory is when God goes public. And glory is a full display of the heaviness of his being. Old Testament explains when Moses goes up to the mountain, he came down in the fullness of God's glory and he was glowing. The heaviness of God changed him. So when you say, glory! To God be the glory. What you're saying is that moment, that thing is, is heavy with the nature of God. God is always setting himself up to show off. And from the edge of the universe to the bottom of the ocean, God is working that catwalk. That made me smile. Just thinking about it. There may be parts of your life right now that looked like it just came out of a paper shredder. But here's what I want your heart to hear. 
If you're walking away from sin and you are walking into the spotlight of the things of God, you can rest in whatever situation that covers you right now because it is from the designer of the universe. You tell me the Lord is not a great creator who does not lavish his grace on humanity. You come by too late to tell me that. You know why? Because I've looked into the sky at night. And I want you to know, church, every time that you inhale, you are borrowing breath from the Creator who lit up the stars and gave the planet its first spin. That's who I serve. I don't know what the news ticker is going to look like this week, but I'm not going to be anxious. But in all things, I am going to look into the heavens, look into the hills, because that's where my help comes from. Psalm 33, 6 through 9 says this. You want to grab onto a memory verse this week, write it on a note card, sticky note, and stick it somewhere, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. This would be a good one to start with. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap. And puts the depth into the storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. And they will one day. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. They will one day. Why? For He spoke. And it came into being. He commanded. And it came into existence. That ought to anchor your heart. That ought to anchor your heart. Turn off Fox News and open up Psalm 33. Good grief. See, the Bible says that he made two great lights that would alternate. Uh, it's the idea of more light and less light. These are created images. They're placeholders. They're image bearers on the catwalk in the sky. Let me teach you something. The reason Moses called them greater lights and lesser lights is to remind the Israelites that these lights were not God. So he didn't give them a name. He left them nameless on purpose because there were a lot of pagan religions around the area of the desert that they were going through that were worshiping the sun and the moon. Guess what? That's still going on today. You have people bowing you have people denying the existence of God and bowing to worship the moon. And so what Moses is doing is he's reminding the Israelites, catch this, who are wandering in the desert because of disobedience against God, that these two models of matter aren't the designer. They're just tools that God would use to govern their lives. They were wandering... In the desert because of disobedience. They were the ones that didn't want to trust God on the ground. And so God gave them proof that he was in control in the sky. I laugh when I thought about that. Here they are denying that God was good and God was in control. And yet all they could do was look up and say, okay, God, you are in control. It's, it's, they cannot get away from the obvious. It's like a dog chasing his tail. You've seen it? The more they try to run away from what's true, the more it's right there behind them. That's the way the Israelites were. 
They were trying to get away from God. And he was putting lesser light and greater light right in the sky. The word made in verse 16 is the Hebrew word hasa. Now that word hasa is different from the word bara that we see in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Barashit, bara, Elohim. Hashmain, yait, aharez. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So the word bara means to create from nothing. But the word ahsa, ah, uh, ah, catch this, it means to fashion or to work out. It's to polish. It's to redefine. It's different from that word. So what God made on day four is not something from nothing. But God gave something that was already there a new purpose. God gave the sun and the moon a job to permanently order and define the passing of time according to his good purposes. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? That's where Bible study will get you. A pastor is not the only one that should have Bible study material. Build your library. I can put you on some resources. What does this word mean? Wow, this is incredible. Because as you peel back the layers of that onion, I'm telling you, it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. But I can't give you that nectar only just once a week. You'll dry up and you'll starve to death. That's a good place to say amen, Pastor. Here's the thing. Verse 14 supports this because it says that, it, it, that we would use the celestial catwalk, the sun and the moon, for seasons and for days and for years. So we know that he was, he was working out. He was giving the sun and the moon a purpose because they are fantastic runway models. I think that's why people like to take a picture of nature, of the sun, of a sun. Why do so many people prefer to take pictures of a sunset or a sunrise like Pastor Dom talked about? Because they are working the runway. You know? God wants us to be like, yes, awesome, that's it, that's a good shot, keep moving. It's there. The sun and the moon are fascinating runway models. I don't know if you realize this. But the sun's just a ball of flame. Is that surprising anybody? It is hot. It's, it's a ball of flame. The diameter measures 865,000 miles, which is about 109 times the di diameter of the earth. 109 times the diameter of the earth. Hey, throw that picture up there. I've got a picture just as a point of reference. Look at that. And look at this one. Earth. That's like, that little guy, without the, without the arrow, you wouldn't be able to see us. And you know what? There are people that think that, that they are the center of the universe. What? You're not even the center of your own earth. Your earth's not even center of the own, its own galaxy. Glory. Is found there. And not only that, but it goes on. If the earth were hollow, it would take 1.3 million earths to fill up the sun. Here's a visual for you. Wow. 
1.3 million earths to fill the sun. And if you compare our sun to other stars in the galaxy, you can't even see it. And yet we wake up in the morning, walk outside and feel the heat of the sun and say, Lord, do you even care about me? Scientists believe the temperature at its core is 27 million degrees. That's cooking. That's peanut oil right there. There was these two hillbillies and, and they were convinced that, that they were going to go to the sun. They were making all these plans to go to the sun. And, and some scientists were like, there's no way you'll make it to the sun. You'll burn up before you get there. And they're like, uh-uh, we're going to fly at night. We're going to fly at night. If the brightness or the temperature of the sun were off the tiniest bit, life would end as we know it. That's just the sun. The moon keeps the ocean tides in perfect balance with its gravitational pull. If the moon were out of orbit the tiniest bit, the tides would get off schedule and the entire coastal ecosystem would collapse as would Dean Hayes. Because he loves the coast. I'm talking about oysters are gone. I'm talking sea turtles are gone. Crab legs gone. Crane, seagulls, gators, shark, redfish, stingrays. Gone. See, the sun determines our day and sustains our life through its energy. And the moon determines our months and sustains our lives through the gravity. And we will walk out in the middle of the night and we will stare up into a full moon and we will say, Lord, do you even know where I am? Yes. There's a catwalk. There's a celestial catwalk in the sky that is showing off the brilliance of God. So what was the sun doing before God put it to work for his glory? Sun stuff. What was, what was the moon before God put it to work for His glory? Just insignificant moon dust. All the material was there from day one. Y'all catch this. It just wouldn't do anything. God hadn't given it purpose. And that's what I want you to see. God is using heaven's catwalk to bring the sun and the moon into the light. The light, not the source of light, bring it into his purposes so he can use it for his glory. And that is what the cross is for us. It is the catwalk of God. And here's what I mean by that. The cross, it'll take a mom, it'll take a dad, it'll take a family, it'll take a marriage, it'll take a bank account. The cross will take a hobby, a talent, a passion and skill that has no significance to offer the kingdom and it will change it so he can use it and he can bless it. That's what the cross is for us. That's what success is. It's having something money can't buy and death can't steal. That's what success is. And I don't care how much a person acquires, collects, does, buys, spends, or saves in this life. If it is not used for the glory of God, it's all going to burn up with nothing to show for it. I don't know if you realize this, 
But everything you have will end up in somebody else's yard sale one day. Boy, that'll that'll put things into perspective, won't it? There was this this guy and he walks into a yard sale and there was a table full of Levi blue jeans and he looked and he saw he saw size 32 and 33 and 34 and 35. So he asked the guys like, "Do you have any 36s?" The guys like, "If you come back next year." <laughs> Here's what I want you to know, church. If God has the moon and the sun at His disposals, who are we to reject allowing Him to use us? Or worse, think He can't use us? He can use moon dust. He can use us. That's really good. I'm going to write that down. If he can use moon dust, he can use us. So a question for us this morning is this. If there's an area of your life that's not under God's control, what's keeping you from handing it over to him this morning? For his purposes. If if I were to invite an unbeliever. To repent. Of their sin against a holy God. And confess your need. To be born again. Would you be willing to boldly step out. And tell me about that decision. Because if God can use moon dust. He can use us. He can give us purpose that we never thought possible in ourselves. We've been chasing selfishness and rebellion against God, refusing to give up your life to to not just commit, but to surrender. What would stop you from coming forward and saying, there's not going to be a rock that's going to cry in my place. I'm going to give praise myself. If God can use the moon and the sun as models of his brilliance, he can use us. Amen? The perfection with which the space that we see operates is one of the greatest proofs it was designed by a wise and gracious creator. And so what does the celestial catwalk of God do? It helps us stay focused on his brilliance. Y'all with me, say I am. That's the big idea. It helps us, it helps us stay focused on his brilliance. But if you're asking yourself, Pastor Ryan, okay, I know that it helps us keep focused on his brilliance. What is one way that I can start? What is, what is, thing, what is one thing that I can do to help me stay focused on God's brilliance in my own life? And so I didn't, fill the, I didn't fill your sermon guide with multiple points because I wanted this one to stick because God put it so heavy on my heart. And not only in my heart, but, but in application of my own life. So what I'm trying to do is give you one theme and just one takeaway. One handle that you can hold on to that can help you, that, that can help you stay focused on the brilliance of the celestial catwalk of God. And it's this. It's one word. And the word is silence. Silence. The celestial catwalk of God helps us stay focused on His brilliance through silence. 
Let's say that together, church, on three. One, two, three. Silence. See, when a model is moving on the runway, there are people that are just stacked two, three, four aisles deep on the floor looking at the catwalk, looking at the spotlight. And you know one of the things I've noticed at these premier fashion shows, and it, it, it's there whether the fashion show is in Paris or Berlin or in France. What I've noticed is there are people all along the side watching in silence. Their attention is focused on whoever's in that spotlight because they don't want to miss a moment. They don't want to miss an angle. They don't want to miss a turn. They don't want to miss a button. They don't want to miss anything of the designer who designed something that looks like it came out of a paper shredder but would cost you $2,000. They don't want to miss it, so they're in silence. They're looking there. So what are they doing? What are they doing not to miss the intention of the designer? They're sitting in silence. Did y'all get that? They block out the distractions. They block out the distractions so that they can focus on the brilliance that's right in front of them. Have you ever seen something so beautiful and you're like, shh, 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 shh. Just let me look at it. And you go into an art gallery. It's quiet. Why? Because it allows you to reflect on brilliance. T.S. Eliot wrote this. Where shall the word be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. Because there's not enough silence. See, when Eliot wrote this, it's almost like he was following us around. Stepping into our lives in 2022. I don't know if you've realized it, but we are in a contemporary epidemic of noise. You go out to eat, it's like the radio over the restaurant speaker is continuing to be louder and louder and louder. There are times where you, I can't enjoy my meal because of the noise. But if you talk to marketing gurus, you know why they turn the noise up? Because it makes you eat faster. It helps you eat faster so you can get out so they can fill the table with someone else. I'm being played. You can ask Debbie. I will ask him, hey, can you turn that off? You turn that down? I'm trying to enjoy my company. I'm trying to enjoy my food. If I wanted to eat with, with noise everywhere, I'd eat at the house. <laughs> Everything... Everything around us is loud. Everything around us is fast. And it's brief. And I believe it's robbing us of our peace. We don't even realize it's happening. Silence has become an awkward thing, isn't it? That was only 15 seconds. Was that awkward? It's robbing our peace. 
this destruction of distraction. Y'all, it's difficult to detect when it's happening because oftentimes it doesn't involve bad things but good things that take the place of the most important things. And most of us live in this social media matrix where our conversations are quick. They're divided. You talk to a teenager. I have one. Just got finished raising one. I've got another one coming along. What I've noticed is the art of just conversation is lost. And you have to talk in spurts quick. And those spurts are shallow most of the times. And we struggle to maintain conversations because we talk over one another. It's like we, we're talking the way we're looking at a screen. Like, like the way that we look at a screen is now how we enter a conversation. You know I'm telling the truth. How many times have you introduced yourself to someone and then 10 seconds later thought, what was their name? I'm guilty of that. That's why I write stuff on my hand. You know why we're guilty of that? Because the silence sometimes is awkward and we're already moved on to how we're going to continue the conversation. We won't sit and rest in the introduction. I know it may seem awkward, but introduce yourself to someone, let them introduce themselves to you, and then just sit there and stare at one another. Guess what? You will remember their name in that silence. Here's what I want you to hear. We, we are being programmed to drive to crowds, to drive to words, to music and entertainment. The noise is hostile and it's detrimental to the life of the Spirit of God because it leads a person to inner emptiness. We are, a, we are more connected than we've ever before than we've been ever before in culture. But yet, there are people that feel more alone. There are people that have more blue check marks and followers and yet are more depressed than they've ever been. And you know why I believe that is? It's because we've lost the art of silence and solitude. I believe there's so much anxiety in the life of believers because we don't have enough extended periods of silence in our life. That's why... We can't hear the voice of God. That's why anxiety can come over us because we won't give the word time to soak and marinate in our hearts. And here's, I'm convinced that we would, we would experience withdrawals if we would deprive ourselves of noise for more than 15 minutes. Test it. That's why we jerk our phones out when silence appears. I'm just a watcher of people. I, I, just, I just am. And I watch people when they feel awkward in silence. They pull your phone out. You go into a restaurant where you're waiting for a table. And there's strangers around you. They're not conversating. They're not sitting in silence. They're not staring out the window with no agenda. They're looking at their phone because the awkwardness is there. The enemy is behind this. I'm completely convinced. Try it. Try, try to create silence with your kids on the way home. 
Just ask them to stare out the window with no agenda on the way home. No devices. Just try it. They will break out in hives. Or just sit around the dinner table with, with, without TV on or, or, or without your phone out. See, the discipline of silence, it encourages to, to grow in the quietness and the trust. And we do that by being, being hushed before God so that we can listen with our spirits to Him and enjoy His presence. We have time to think. We had time for our inner man to connect with our Creator who made us in His image. Some of the most profound questions that I've ever gotten from my kids is when we're riding down the road with, with no radio on. Because we're creating this in our kids. We're, we're creating space for them just to ponder and to think and to contemplate. It's a lost art. Contemplation is a lost art. Emma, is um, she joined the theater troupe in Social Circle. And so she's playing a character in Cinderella. And so we were at the play last night. And there was an intermission. And there was this little girl. She was five. I didn't know her, but I met her uh, while we were kind of waiting. And there was this period of silence. And I'm thinking about this message. I can't help it. I, I just think about all you know, the message. And, and so I'm just kind of thinking about it and reflecting. And I'm sitting next to her. And, and there's been all this busyness. She's talking to her mom and talking about the show, this and that, popcorn, bathroom breaks, the whole deal. And I'm just kind of watching. And there was about 30 seconds of silence. And then the little girl, out of the blue, asked her mom this. Mom, what's 8 plus 4? And I thought, she's thinking. She's thinking because she's quiet. And it had nothing to do with the current situation. I'm telling you, when we think about the Lord in silence, He will speak to us in what kind of voice? A still, small voice. Lord is not going to scream at us to get our attention. When we discipline ourselves in silence, Isaiah 30 verse 15 says this, for the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. But are you willing? Are you willing? Y'all write this down. The devil can't steal your soul. He will try to steal your silence. You can take that to the bank. The devil can't steal your soul. He will try to steal your silence. When silence puts your kids in a bad mood, that is a red flag of idolatry in their hearts. And that falls on us. That falls on us. If you, if you consistently subject your kids to entertainment just to keep them from being an inconvenience to you, you are setting them up for a weak faith because we're conditioning them to ignore the silence where God often speaks. Shame on us. Shame on me. And some of the deepest questions has come right out of that for my kids. It's just staring out the window with no agenda. There's value in the, in, in the quiet game for us. 
Church, here's the thing. The lack of silence in our lives is literally robbing us from knowing God. And it's been said that if Satan can keep our attention diverted until you're dead, he will be able to, to get you to do to yourself what he doesn't have the power to do to you. That's powerful. And his end game, his end game is to play the fiddle while the life that we were meant to live goes up in smoke. As we just swipe away His presence in our lives, silence is worth fighting for. Church, fight for it because it leads to greater service. That's why it's worth fighting for. It leads to greater service. You look in the New Testament and you see the Lord Jesus in silence before the Father anytime He was getting ready for maximum service. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was silent in the garden. He was silent before Pilate. He was silent on the cross. He was silent in the tomb. The reality is, sometimes silence is the answer. I'm telling you, there's coming a day real soon when he's going to crack open the sky. and He is not going to be silent any longer. And because of his majesty, every knee will have to bow in silence to the king who lit the stars on fire, and who gave the planets its spin. We won't be able to connect with that unless we discipline ourselves and our families and our kids to put things away. And let's just be quiet for a minute. Let's just be quiet for a minute. Be quiet for a minute. You know, if you think about looking at the stars. Oh, there's Valentine's coming up. I'm about to show my hand, okay? Act surprised. But if I want to create... If I want to create a romantic environment looking at the stars, I'm going to prepare all these things. I may prepare the location. I may check the weather to see if there's any cloud covering. I may, I may get snacks. Got to have snacks. Have dreams about eating snacks. You know what? You may get a blanket, picnic basket, whatever. But you get everything set up. You get everything set up. You go out to Charlie Elliott. You, you know, you, you find that, you find that open field, you lay down, you look back. You're not gonna say, you know what I'm missing? I think I'm gonna turn on a podcast. Let's, per, let, let's, let's blast some music. No. What do you want to do to enjoy it? Just be quiet. Stare up into the stars and say, man, now that's a celestial catwalk. And then see what the Lord has for you to do. And so here's what I want to challenge you. Do you need to interject more silence in your life? And two, are you willing to fight for it? And so the praise team's coming, but not yet. Because I want to ask you just to bow your heads and let's just be in silence for a moment. And I'm going to pose a few questions and then just let it sit. What is too noisy in your life that's robbing you? 
is it too much activity? Is it too many distractions? Is it too many areas of sin? In what ways is God calling you to be still before Him and act in obedience? In what ways is God calling you to be still before Him and act in obedience? And will we be bold enough to step out and make a bold move for the glory of God and His purposes in your life this morning? If it's a realignment of priorities, give it to the Lord this morning and ask Him to help you. If it's a step toward Him in salvation, help Him to give you the courage to make that bold move. If it's a rededication of silence, if you're a Christ follower, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism, you feel just stuck in neutral. You want to say, Pastor, I need to take that next step. I need to get going for the purposes of God in my life. I'm praying you'll boldly step out. If you want to make a move, toward church partnership. You want to find out more about what this ministry is doing for the kingdom. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Let's stand together, church. you think this silence is kind of awkward maybe that's a good thing the Lord may be doing a work silently in your heart but the work that he's doing inside of you is not to be snuffed out it is to be lived out. I've heard, I hear the saying often that says, you know what, I'm just going to let go and let God. 
I've got a better way of saying it. Once you you get God, and then get going. Start moving for His purposes. How in the world can we do that? If we're not courageous enough to discipline ourselves, to put our lives in places of, of periodic silence, so that we'll be able just to find some rest. Listen, church. We better know where we need to turn for rest. Because this world, I'm not sure if you have checked lately, but it is plunging itself in chaos. And we need, we need a church with a spine for the days ahead. We need leadership that has, that, that has a desire for for, for silence and solitude so that when we need to roar, we're roaring because of Him. And this church is only as powerful as the purity of its people. We don't realize, we don't realize what those areas are. We're not quiet enough to listen and turn to be on fire for Him. If He can light up the stars... In obedience, imagine what he can light up in your life for his purposes if you would let him take control. So we're going to sing, we're going to praise, and we're going to show him off in the next few minutes. And I want you to be bold to do what God's put on your heart. Amen.